Hi, this is Anna, and this is Check It at the Round Table, where we discuss movies, books, music, and stuff. Today we are discussing Love by Chance 2, Episode 7. Yes, peeps, it has been a week, and we have finally gotten to watch this episode on Vicky Rukatan. I mean, I don't know about most people, but I am really liking this show, and the fact that I have to wait one week, seven whole days for an episode... It's really hard for me. I mean, I'm not an instant gratification kind of person, but when it comes to wanting to find out the next part of the story on this, I kind of am. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. This episode, I really liked. The main reason I liked this episode, though, wasn't necessarily because of Tin and Can in this episode. Although, the issues that were brought to light and how Can tried to deal with those issues was very interesting but the main person in this episode that made it great and I know I put an ode to A in the previous episode but let me just say our previous podcast about episode six A really shone in this episode I mean A kind of always shines unless he's having a total dive bomb moment but you know he got over that he moved on and he's doing pretty good now but the thing I liked about this episode is it opens up with Tin basically asking Can to go steady with him as we would stay in the States. And, you know, that's just the way I talk, even though I live internationally now. It's just the way I'm going to be talking for the rest of my life. But anyway, so Tin wants to go steady with Can. And Can isn't sure about this. And the thing I love about Can, I mean is he is so very honest in everything that he does. Even the things that you're going, can't you have to be that honest about? But he looks at Tinny, he's going, you know, I don't want us to be together and then to break up and have that sadness because, you know, I see what A is going through and I do not want that in my life. I mean, you know, and I totally get Can's decision there because I'm going, you know, if you thought something was going to end in failure, why would you even start it? And, you know, I think that's a very valid fear. Now, as it progresses, I think what A does is he basically comes in and goes, you know, why don't we address your fears that you're dealing with? And then we are going to deal with that in a way that is healthy. And I think that's really cool that we have very valid reasons for why can doesn't want to be in the relationship with Tin. And the thing I think is interesting about them as a couple is, you know, there's one point where Tin asks Can, why do you want to be with me? And he goes, you're the one who helps me breathe. And I really think for Ken, Tin, that was the truth because Can was the one person in his life who he could be completely authentic with and not have to worry about how Kant was going to perceive him. I'm sorry, I got a bit of a throat problem. But anyway, as the story progresses, Tin thinks that Kant is not going to be with him. He goes home, basically spends the night crying his eyes out and saying, you know, Kant's the only one I want to be with. Tin goes home, or excuse me, Kant goes home to his family for the first time in his life. He doesn't want to eat supper, and his mom and his sister cannot figure out what's wrong with the kid because they're going... Can is like an open, I don't know, you just shove food in his mouth and he's still hungry. I mean, that's just Can. And so they're trying to figure out what's wrong with Can. And Can goes upstairs and he's basically beside himself going, 
I don't want him to be sad because I do care about him. And if I do care about him, I don't want him to end up like A or me to end up like A. And he's sitting there going, I don't know how to prevent that unless we just don't go down that road. And, you know, I would like to be friends with him, but if that's not going to work out, I'd rather this all busted up now before I'd hurt him that way or he'd hurt me that way. And, you know, I totally get Can's philosophy there. I mean, it is totally explainable. A lot of people in modern day would not get Can's philosophy because, you know, that's not something that they really think about. But for some of us, we're going... Oh yeah, totally get can, totally get why he's thinking that, totally even get why he, you know, got down that road. But as it progresses, can basically starts not eating, working really hard at soccer, and just basically driving himself so that he doesn't think about what he's trying to deal with that he doesn't want to deal with. I call it the avoidance issue. And for some of us, we really are good at avoidance issues. I mean, not necessarily in romantic things, but just in general, we block. We, you know, avoid the things that we don't want to deal with, and so we go and do other things like play soccer till the cows come home. But, you know, for some of us, that's how we deal with it, but that's not the healthy way to deal with it. And I think the thing that really brings this episode forward is A's looking at Ken just wearing himself out on the soccer field, not eating. And he's also looking at Tin, and he's going, you know, both these people, yeah, they might not be exactly the ideal couple. I mean, by any stretch of the word, they're just a weird group of people. But he's looking at going, you know, both of them are miserable by themselves, and they're miserable because they know that they really like each other, but they don't want to deal with that fact. And so what A does is he basically takes Tin aside one day in, in the locker room after the game practice, and he goes, A, A says, Ken, you know, you're troubled and you're going crazy, kind of like I'm going crazy with Pete. You're going crazy because of Tin. And he said, you know, Tin's here. Pete's not here. So if Pete were here... I would definitely be having a conversation with Pete. I would be giving him a hug if he were able to be given a hug. I would be engaged with Pete. I would be, you know, not avoiding the problem or not avoiding the subject. And, you know, I think that's what kind of tipped Ken's equilibrium because he's going, you know, Ken doesn't understand feelings very well. Ken is not good at, you know, dealing with that ball of wool, as they say. But the one thing that A was able to do is he's going, you know, you might not understand what you're feeling. You might not understand what you're going through. But you still need to have that conversation with the other person. Because if you don't, you're going to regret it. And, you know, that person's here right now, but it's possible they would not be here. And how would that make you feel if you didn't have that conversation? I mean, A's not even saying, I think you should all get together and it'll be wonderful. Because, honestly, I really don't think that's going to happen. I mean... Yeah, they might get together, but they're going to have problems just like everyone else has problems. I mean, that's just life. And the thing I really like about A is he's like, you need to have that conversation because that person that you care about, that you don't really quite understand how to untangle that ball of wool, is still here. Whereas the person that A cared about is completely gone. There is no chance for um, dealing with a conversation for at least three years. So, you know, I think with that in mind... He's being really good at helping Ken try to decipher that. The other thing is there's this scene where 
Ken comes to kind of check on how Ken's doing on the soccer field, and he sees he's just basically wearing himself out, kicking soccer balls into the goal. And A comes up to him and he goes, you know, you need to talk to Ken. And you also need to realize that Ken cares about you, even if he's not able to verbalize that care, because Ken isn't the sharpest tool in the shed. And, you know, they're not saying that to be rude to Ken. They're simply saying that because Ken really doesn't have a lot upstairs. And, you know, he really can't help that fact, as I've pointed out in previous podcasts here about this series. But the one thing he does do is he is there for people. If he can be on a very honest, almost childlike way, he's just there. Now, it might not be the most best way to be there for people, but he tries really hard. And I think this little moment with Tin and A, where he says, you know, Ken's not even sure of all that he feels about you. And because of that, it is extremely hard for him to express that to you in a fashion that would be explainable. And he says, you know, you really need to come to his game in two days because he would want you to come, even though he might be seeming totally not wanting to be around you, etc. You need to come to this game in two days. And that game is what I thought was a flashback at the very beginning episode of the series. There's a scene where Ken is beside himself, weeping, crying, losing it because Techno got hurt at a soccer game. And I assumed that was like the final episode and we're just seeing a flashback to it at the beginning episode. But it's actually this episode seven is Pan ends up being pulled up when he usually just sits on the bench. They lose. He feels terrible about it. Techno was hurt. That's why he was pulled off the bench. And he basically goes back to the locker room. All his friends have left and he's just completely losing it, which I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm going, I don't think Ken's probably ever completely lost it like this, because he's going, he's got all these emotions dealing with the ting thing that he's trying to figure out, and then he's got all these emotions because he lost the game, and he feels like it's his fault, and he's just basically sitting there just weeping in this locker area, just completely beside himself, all alone, and then, you know, Tin does come in, and Tin gives him a hug, which is kind of interesting, because Tin's not the kind of person that does this, and so Tin has to figure out in a similar way, because Ken doesn't know how to express how he feels and um, verbally, and Tin doesn't know how to express how he feels on a physical level, like giving someone a hug, letting them know it's okay. And this scene, I think, shows growth in both of them, because they both have to deal with the things that they don't know how to handle. Now, for Can, that's telling, you know, Tin that he doesn't want him to leave. Because there's a scene where he's giving um, Tin a hug. And he's like, I don't want you to disappear again. I do like you. I just don't know how to explain that I like you. And that, I think, is kind of the crux of Can's issue. Is he just doesn't know how to verbalize his emotions. And he also doesn't know how to handle the fact that the emotions involve more than himself. And then you have the scene at the end of that film, which if you've seen Love by Chance, the original series, it will make sense because there's a scene in Love by Chance, the original series, where there's Pete and A, and 
10 for some reason. Okay, the timeline is completely screwed up on this season. I will be the first to admit that's one thing in the reviews that I wholeheartedly agree with because we go from watching Love by Chance season one where the timeline with Tin and Can is completely different than the timeline that is this one. And you just kind of have to suspend your disbelief and watch the show for enjoying the show, not for linearity when it comes to the timeline thing. However, if you do watch Love by Chance season one, or Love by Chance, I guess they don't call it season one, but Love by Chance, you will notice that there is a scene that is in the beginning of one episode, or excuse me, the end of one episode, the beginning of another, where A and Pete basically decide that they're going to go steady. And that scene is in the locker room, and there's this, they're basically setting up against the locker room doors just talking about, are we going to go steady? Because A was pretty sick of people trying to mess with Pete, and so he's like, you know, if we just went out and admitted that we were a couple, this would keep this from happening and driving me absolutely ape. I mean, he doesn't use those terms. I'm using those terms. And so they decided to go steady, etc. Well, in the same way, similarly, I think it was a very interesting juxtaposition because this last scene in this episode has Tin and Can sitting against the same locker room doors not deciding necessarily to go steady, but admitting what they think about each other. And really, it's mainly Ken admitting that, number one, he's upset when um, Tin has a girl who supposedly needs help. He's, he's upset about that. And he doesn't like having Tin around other people who could be a possible partner. And he admits that. He's like, I don't like that. And I don't like when you're helping other people who, you know, could be trying to, you know, be with you in that way. And he's like, and I do like you. I really like you. And there you go. And it's so cute because Ken is kind of this person who's like, he, he abruptly says each of these things. And then he kind of looks away like he's totally embarrassed to be rid of these. And it, it's basically just this kind of humorous scene because Ken's finally saying what he thinks. And he's like, I'm not the sharpest tool. I mean, it's so cute because he's like, I may not be that smart, but and then he just sits there and it's so funny because Tin who is completely pent up as an individual I mean like to the uber nth degree sits there and he gently just kind of pats Ken's head and then tips it close to him and that's kind of how the scene closes and the thing I think is kind of funny about that is at the scene with Love by Chance um, the first series that's kind of how it closes with A and Pete in that scene because again the one kid has the other kid's shoulder and is just kind of patting his head and I think that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition I don't know who came up with that idea but I think it was somewhat clever that they combined those two relationships because in some ways I don't think that Tin and Can would have had a relationship if it hadn't been for A and Pete whether you're looking at the timeline in the original series are the timeline here? I mean, A and Pete played a pretty big role in Tin and Can's relationship. Not because they were, you know, active advocates for it, but because they're sitting there going, why are you doing what you're doing? Or in, in the case of um, season, what, Love by Chance, the first series, I'd have to say I think Pete was more instrumental in their relationship according to that timeline than A. But in this series, it's like they've reversed the roles. They've completely changed the timeline. So there is no point in trying to make linearity out of that thing because it's not going to happen, people. I mean, it just isn't. So that's okay. But 
the thing I really liked about this episode was it was about basically people trying to block. And, you know, the thing is, is I think people get really confused about things. At least personally, I can admit to this. It's like people think that someone's blocking because they're being unkind to the other person. Like, for example, Tin's perception of Can right then was that he was maybe treating him badly. But the honest to goodness truth is the only reason that Tin, that Can was blocking Tin at that point in time was because he didn't want to hurt Tin. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss when it comes to any individual blocking. I mean, sometimes people block just for, you know, other reasons. Actually, the word avoidance is probably better, but when I think of avoidance, I think of people blocking something. And, you know, a lot of times people avoid block things because they're bent on their own self-preservation. So, okay, that is a major component to a lot of blocking. But there's also this other side to it that I don't think it's a lot of airtime where you're sitting there going, you know, a lot of times people don't block for their own self-preservations. A lot of times they block because they're completely freaked out that the other party could get hurt and they don't know how to handle that anyway but to block and then even be okay dealing with that misperception rather than having the person think, you know, they care for them because if they knew that they care for them, then they would jump over that block. And they don't want that to happen because they're afraid of what could happen to the person. And I know that's a very awkward way to say things, but I'm just saying, I think that this scene with this whole beginning of this episode with Tin and Can really encapsulated that in a way that isn't shown a lot on film. And again, I know I keep coming back to this, but, you know, BL is kind of a newer genre. I'm not saying we didn't have it before. I think Japan was the first one to... Japan film was the first to come out with this. But the thing I've noticed, and again, I've only noticed BLs for like literally since this July because that's when I, you know, came into the fore and saw him on Vicky Rukatom with Love Life on the Line. But the thing that I think makes them timely and makes them interesting to me is you have two different kinds of people, again, that seem to like BLs. And I don't mean to keep going over this, and I'm not trying to offend people, but it seems like you have either super intelligent women who like BLs, or you have these weird fangirls, which are like the antithesis of the super intelligent women that like BLs. And I really am not quite sure on the fangirl thing. I mean, I've thought about this, I've studied this out, and my linear brain can't really figure that one out. Now, if I was there in the culture and maybe understood the fangirl thing in Thailand, it might make a little more sense. But I'm kind of doubting that one on, you know, a lot of levels. As a, as a person who, you know, grew up in America and not necessarily absorbed the culture of America, because quite frankly, I'm actually not very American in my views and my way of thinking, etc. Just because... I grew up reading very old books and thinking differently than a lot of people around me. But the one thing that I think that the BLs are bringing to the forefront, and the reason that I think they're interesting and becoming more popular is because, again, they ask questions and they deal with issues that aren't really being dealt with in rom-coms, that aren't really being dealt with in most, you know, dramas. And I think that's why some of us are, you know, 
watching them more. Now, some of them, I will be completely honest, are just completely and utter travesties that you sit there and go, you know, these really shouldn't even be considered because then you get people who don't know much about BL and watch one of those and then consider the whole genre is like that. And you're going, oh no. It's like my friend who was watching K-dramas and thought that because the K-dramas they were watching were absolutely silly, all K-dramas were silly. And I'm going, no, you can't judge a whole genre of film or, you know, a country's film by, you know, a few bad ones that you happen to see. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying low quality, poor humor kind of shows. And I think that the thing I like about the BLs that are well done is they do ask the questions. They do bring up, you know, the issues. And the other thing is you're dealing with guys trying to relate to guys. And the thing is that I really like about guys and that I get, even though I'm not a guy, is, you know, not beating around the bush with something. If you've got a problem you know, just admit to having that problem and then deal with it. I mean, it's like when Ken comes up and goes, you know, I don't want to hurt you, so I don't think we should ever get into a relationship because that way we just avoid that. Now, with a woman, I'm not saying that they wouldn't come up and do that because, you know, honestly, I could see myself saying that at some point, which I would hope I wouldn't do that because that would again be avoiding and blocking. But moving on, I'm just saying most women would not come to the table with that kind of response. Most women would not even really think about it. I mean, I don't mean that badly. I'm just saying, and again, most guys wouldn't think about it in the long term. But I'm going, the thing I think is interesting about these is they ask very direct questions and then they get direct responses. And the other thing is they deal with issues that are very relevant and they also make you think about the world a little differently than you normally would because, you know, they ask the questions and they don't beat around the bush with stuff, which I think is kind of why I tend to like them. Now, also, they bring up really interesting ideas, which are different than the questions. And I think that is something else that makes them timely and interesting. Now, the one thing I do think is interesting is I've never met a guy who likes BLs. In fact, most guys, when they're mentioned the word BL drama, they get very defensive, which I think is kind of funny, personally, because I'm going, that tells me that there's something, again, if someone's being defensive, if they're blocking about something, then maybe they need to reconsider it. I mean, I'm not saying that you should be a guy and like BLs. I'm just saying that if you're blocking that, then maybe you need to think about why you're blocking that. And again, that's just a little side note. But I'm just saying, in personal experience, if we're blocking something, it's not necessarily because we're afraid of it or confused by it or, you know, any of that. But a lot of times we're not blocking out of self-preservation. We're blocking because we fear X. And because we fear X, we're not going to study anything about X. I mean... And that's really stupid because if you don't know anything about a subject, then you probably shouldn't be judging it. I mean, I'm just saying from a logical standpoint. Now, if you can make an informed decision, it's like when I first started watching BLs, the only reason I started watching BLs was because I had an ESL student who asked me what I thought of BLs. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I will study up on this and then I will get back with you. And so, you know, I study up on it. I watched a few of them. I'm like you know, there are some very good, important points that some of these bring together. Now, whether you're talking about Love Life on the Line or History 2, Right or Wrong, or, you know, this series, Love by Chance, you know, 
that made me realize that this was a whole genre I didn't even know existed because honestly I'm not very familiar with Thai film and I'm not very familiar with Japanese film and those are basically the two countries that seem to be coming out with most of the BL and I really don't consider American film BL to be on the same level I'm sorry it just seems subpar to the Taiwanese and the Japanese high quality ones and you know if you can drop me a line at what the BL dot check it roundtable at gmail.com. I will happily do a review on American BL if it's at the same quality level as the Japanese and Taiwanese ones that we've been reviewing. But I think that is why, you know, this is a digression. And as you probably know from listening to this podcast, I tend to circle the wagon and maybe repeat a couple things because I don't know, it's just the way my mind works. But that is my review of Love by Chance to episode 7. I can't really wait for the next episode to come out, but I'm going to have to wait for the next episode to come back. So, come up, not come back. That would mean that I'd already seen it. Ooh, how exciting. But anyway, I'm really looking forward to the next episode. I think this one's going to be one that kind of whammies um, can again because... Apparently, everyone keeps telling Ken that um, Tin should be with someone who is better looking, etc. And Ken believes them, and so suddenly he's got another block he's got to work through. So anyway, this is going to be interesting to see how it progresses. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with A. I think A is the one that I'm most curious about. I mean, no offense, I think Tin and Ken are a very interesting ball of wool, as I say. But... I think A is the one that's going to be the coolest to see what happens and what they do with his character. Because I don't mean it weird. A is just kind of one of the few characters in film that I'm like really rooting for just because he's such a decent chap. I mean, I don't mean it bad. It's just he really is a decent chap. Now, does he always do the right thing? Nah. Does he try really hard? Yeah. And, you know, I think that trying is what makes, you know, the characters, it's like, I don't remember who said that. I was just listening to a TED talk about um, a refugee from Poland who was a political refugee. And he said, you know, easy choices, easy life. Hard choices, better life, I think. And I think that kind of is the key. It's not necessarily that, you know, the characters or, you know, the people have simple lives that make you know everything easy in fact I think if we didn't have a little bit of struggle we wouldn't become the people we were supposed to be now are we supposed to have all the struggle we have oh no are we even supposed to have the struggle maybe not but the fact that we are able to surmount the difficulties and move forward I think are what makes us who we are and that's what I really like about his character and so with that I'm going to close check it round table bye <laughs>